Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And welcome to like its own case, but connects to the last two weeks that we've been talking about case. So I want to say that it probably stands alone. We didn't shake our grigri last week. Oh my God. I just realized that. Let's let's do an extra shake. Um, the face that I'm, we're both making right now and looking at each other is one of horror. Like, yeah, because we please, just recorded please, please. a two hour long episode and we forgot to shake the Grigri. And, and so if it didn't happen. record, I'm going to be so mad. Me too. And, and we'll really kind of be more firmly we'll convinced that we have a voodoo curse. Yes. Which is probably my fault. I know. I know. I will blame you. <laughs> I, you will blame me. It's okay. So I think your case today stands alone, but I'm going to urge everybody to go back and listen to the yes. two-parter before you listen to yes. this. I'd, otherwise, I think it might ruin it. Correct. Because this does connect to David Brown. Okay. Okay. I mean, it really, really does. If you don't recall, that is BB Nuts that we've been covering. Way to throw your phone across the studio. I'm looking for a brain bath, Charnel. Thank you. Okay. And so... um. It, so yeah, I mean there there is a connection, but you're gonna you'll understand how this all plays out. Why I did things the way that I did, okay. Um, in the previous the last two weeks cases, um, there were sexual assault victims, there were potential murder victims, right? Um, of, unfortunately, without confessions and without like DNA evidence and whatnot, there was a lot that he went unaccounted for, but it didn't matter because he got put away for 130 years and died serving his sentence. Right. You know, David died serving his sentence, um, not too far into his sentence, really. He had a heart attack. So um, I wanted Zach Ramsey to have his own coverage because he went missing from Great Wall, Great Walls. That's a Chinese That was a Chinese restaurant, restaurant near us. I, I would love is, some lo mein right now. For sure. Um, Great Falls, Montana on February 6th, 1996, when he was 10 years old. And he is still missing. So this is why I wanted to him to have his <coughs> own case, because he's still missing and Megan is still dying from something. I apologize. I've been sick. I have bronchitis or rule out pneumonia or the plague. Something. I'm just gonna eat another cough drop. All right. So this so this is what we are we're covering. Zach was born on December eighteenth, nineteen eighty five. Okay. To his parents, Rachel Howard and Franz Ramsey. The two were married at but at the time of Zach's disappearance, they had since been divorced. Now, Rachel is very beautiful, very full of life but she did have her own demons. She had her first overdose at the age of 17 or 18. She really can't remember her age at the time. She got married at 19, and the marriage was abusive. Um, 
that Zach's dad? Uh, no. Okay. This is not Zach's dad. All right. So her husband came home. She had been drinking. She accused him of cheating, which he denied. And so she broke a beer bottle over the table and slit her own throat. So that was her first... Um, suicide attempt? Her first suicide attempt. Yep. She had an overdose and then suicide attempt. The doctor on call that night at the ER was a plastic surgeon. So lucky for her. There's barely even a scar there okay. anymore. In the late 1980s, her second husband was stationed in Okinawa. And this is where she had her second overdose. And this one was bigger. She did nearly die this time. Okay. She recalls that she was depressed, but doesn't really know why she did it. Um, which, I mean, I think she answered that own, so that own you, statement there. When you have said overdose both of these times, you mean an intentional overdose on yep. pills. Yep. Some For some reason, because I work in the narcotics arena often i was thinking od like on like heroin or something but no. you mean an intentional suicide attempt intentional suicide. overdose yes yep okay um no i don't i'm sorry i just caught up to what you're saying no she had she had addiction issues oh okay yep 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 so she was oding on she narcotics was, yes she was and not just with the intent to kill herself correct her her suicide attempt was by beer bottle okay yep. the others were overdoses um that were not that she can it's recall hard because they're they're intentional. they're intentional in that you're consuming the substance but you aren't always intending to kill yourself you know it's a possibility and for her the problem is she can't remember a whole lot okay so she i mean she can't even recall why she was so depressed that she started using again and, and ended up in that really bad overdose the second time you yeah. know so um she worked for 18 years as a process server for the great falls police department she was known around work as an easy lay. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say easy going. No, she was known as an easy lay and super crazy, unfortunately. She's really beautiful, though, by the way. I know those people. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say yeah. She even put... Um, well, it's not you or I. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I it's was not us. Like, no. We're not easy. This is why. The, like this, this is truly why. So, you know, okay, she had some work. We had some Grey's Anatomy up in there. She had some work people. But then this is where it got crazy to, to people that worked at the police department. Once she put a, a Malta, how do you call that? What do you call it? A model? Tell me. I'm, I'm, we're five hours into. You got to give me recording. more than what you just have. Molotov. A Molotov cocktail. Yes. I can say cocktail. It was Molotov that I, I was the cocktail part to be with. able to say the Molotov part. Yes. Um, she threw a Molotov cocktail in one of her boyfriend's cars once when she thought that he was cheating. So she carry Underwood it. Wooded it in just like a higher instead yeah. of, you know, slashing his tires and shit. She just, eh, why not throw a bomb in there? I, I really don't have a lot of commentary on whether no. that makes her crazy or not. But sure, certainly sure. she was very angry. Yes. And anger. engaged in criminal behavior as a result of her anger. You know what anger. they say? Our emotions are just energy in motion. And she used that energy for bombing. Yeah. Okay. I would love to hear you testify that way someday just specifically i'm currently working on a, a whole new business program right. at where i talk about energy and emotions that's so right stay tuned Fra so franz was in the air force and stationed in colorado and was actually the most successful of the men that rachel had been with he was handsome and he was also um he's also black but i only mention this later because rachel goes 
to ask some of her old colleagues at the station for help. And literally they tell her that she knows where her son is and then made racial slurs against her for having sex with a black man because they didn't approve of her having a child with a black man. And so I I just mentioned the eighties. It is. Okay. But I I was just trying to figure out what our time frame was. Well, no, I mean, he goes missing in 1996. Right. Not so. No, it's not the eighties. He was, Zach was born in the eighties, but it's shitty. It is. And the, and again, the reason that I am mentioning it, mentioning it is because Zach's still missing. And so I do think that it is important to know his heritage, but Zach didn't really get to see Franz very much. Zach was known as a really good child with a gentle nature. He was very creative and artistic. Just before his disappearance, he took um, his art took on what some might consider a darker tone. And once we put it all together, um, we can kind of see that. But at the time, his mom just kind of looked at it like it was very boy-like. Because there were sketches in his room found of characters with their genitals bleeding or crossed out and other drawings that were gruesome in nature as far as as characters bleeding. But these did not concern his mother as he believed that she was just a creative, like having a creative boyish expression, you know, like all blood and guts. But you and I know that that's indicative of sexual abuse. Trauma. Which we know that he was um, groomed and he was... being sexually abused by david brown so that much we do know there is actual pictures that were found when um david's house was searched that show what they believe is zach's hand yes yep there is there are pictures just of zach that are not like pornography in in nature but but we know that he was with him at some point because there were pictures of him Yes. yes all right so there also seemed to be gruesome drawings made by someone else in Zach's notebook and encrypted coding like what was found in David Brown's apartment where he encryptedly coded no. his recipes for eating and cooking children. There are no coincidences. Thank you. I'm sorry. I, I agree. Rachel did have several men throughout Zach's childhood that she brought to the home. And it can be said that from police interviews that Rachel was not a helicopter parent. <laughs> she was comfortable with the children roaming off in the neighborhood to play. Uh-huh. Even the two-year-old that she had, because Zach had had young two younger siblings, um, without knowing where they were at any exact given moment. I, so yep. Zach was said to have longed for a male companion to fill the void of a father figure that was not fully present in his life. So yes, his father was still alive and part of his life, but unfortunately living so far away and the fact that his parents were said to be in a really bad custody battle for him it left Zach feeling disconnected from males in his life. Zach was not found fond of Rachel's boyfriend, her last boyfriend, which coincidentally she broke up with just two days before Zach's disappearance. This oh, man, I bet that made him a person of interest. It did, it did. But Carl, his name is Carl uh, De Kooning, and he has a sad story. So okay, uh, yeah, so. The boyfriend before Carl was Jeff Periton, and tragically, Jeff completed suicide a few months prior to Zach's disappearance. Well, it wasn't him. It was not Jeff. But here's the story with Carl. So, Carl has a wife and kids, and according to interviews that Dr. Epsi did, Rachel and Carl started to see each other on the side, and after a few days, she thought that they should be living together. But Carl was being a little wishy-washy if he was going to leave his wife or not. So Rachel, being the strong, 
headstrong woman that she is, got tired of this. So she marched into Carl's home with his wife and packed Carl's things for him and moved him out of his family home and in with her. Wow. Yeah. She is a little crazy. Yeah. She said Carl was easy to manipulate, especially using sex. I mean, sure. Carl's sitting there with his pants around his ankles and his wife going, what the fuck, Carl? And your, right. his girlfriend's moving to stuff and he's like, I got nothing. I right. gotta, she gives me blowjobs. I have jobs. to go with her. I don't right. know what's happening right now. Good luck with the kids. So, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Carl's got some issues. Carl's a right? pussy. Carl's got some issues. He walked with a limp from a failed attempt at completing suicide. Oh, my God. What is going on in Montana? Is everybody I trying know. to commit suicide? I don't know. It's lonely out there, I guess. It's a beautiful state. I'm not sure. No kidding. So, is, this, is this suicide or is this like Yellowstone suicide? <laughs> is someone taking these people to the train station? Actually, no. Is Rip involved here? No. Carl really did try to crash his motorcycle into a concrete bridge. Oh, Carl, no. Mm-hmm. And he... It didn't, it wasn't successful. And so then he told Rachel that he was such a fuck up. He couldn't even kill himself correctly. So, Aww. I mean, we've got issues. We've got self-esteem. But we've he, got so they break up though. Rachel and Carl. Yeah. Two days before Zach goes missing. Right. They do. So mm-hmm. does he go back to his wife? He does. She lets him back. Of course. She does. Cause they have kids. Okay. And, um, does he get investigated? Yeah. We'll get to it. Okay. Now, according to Dr. Epsi, Rachel told him meaning Dr. Epsi, that she would tell Carl he could could certainly successfully kill himself if he really wanted to. That's how supportive she is. She's like, you're not a fuck up. If you totally wanted to kill yourself, you could. Honey, don't sell yourself short. That's a limiting belief. Yeah. I'm not sure how to feel right now. Uh, uncomfortable. That's how you should feel. Thank That's you. how we should all feel. Yep. Yep. Mission completed. Yep. Like, Success. Like you're sitting on a stick and it's getting too close. So Carl and Zach never really hit it off. He was a whiny man that was never really happy. And I think that much was obvious. But Rachel said a few nights before Zach disappear, disappeared, Carl took Zach to the park. And he had also shown him a path down an alley to get to school. Now, the reason that she's mentioning this is because there is an alley involved in, in how he gets dis- how he goes disappearing. Okay, and I think she was trying to cast some suspicion on Carl. Rachel said that Carl never took any interest in Zach before, so she found this odd. But then again, after Zach's disappearance, it could be easy to take every small detail and try to connect it to something that would make you know sense, right? Well, that's at least a good statement. Regardless, two days before Zach went missing... Rachel and Carl were having sex. And Rachel said that Carl, hold on, guys, this gets oh, wild. No. Rachel said that Carl began sucking on her eyeball. She did not like this. And what? he would not stop. I've never heard of this before. She thought he was literally going to suck her eyeball out of her head. So she pushed him off and kicked his ass back to his waifish wife and kids. Sucking that's, an eyeball? That's how their relationship ended. You know this is a fetish. Why I don't you, even want somebody to tell Carl me. Why Carl break up? Well, he tried to suck my eyeball out of my skull. I got nothing. Me? I know. Speechless. Rachel, you have rendered Charnel and Megan speechless. It doesn't happen often. This has got to be the worst. One of the, one of the craziest breakup stories I've ever heard. I, I can see why she wouldn't like it. Because there's course. not... That There's nothing hurt. erotic about this. No. That from her hurt. perspective. But he obviously is into some type of gelatinous. Oh, my God. Don't give the man some jello. He'll oh. come right there. Oh, God. Like, 
I just can't imagine. And the, I learn something new every day. Eyelashes. I'm just staring out your window aimlessly, like at a bush, by the way. I I'm looking that. at your neighbors. I apologize. I lost myself for a minute. You're actually looking at one of our Patreon's houses oh, right hi. now. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. I hope that you guys aren't in there sucking eyeball. Like, what the Could fuck? Could you imagine... The, like if she's blinking, so her her eyelashes well, would be brushing his so tongue. You're being intimate and you're kissing, and he's like kissing all over your face, and then and all then of a sudden, sudden his tongue's in your eye, and then you're <laughs> like, yes. it's so gross. Yeah, I, I don't even know right now. Not only would we have broken up, but you would have been punched. He Carl would have been injured in there. I know. Okay, now I got to tell you, you're why missing I, your balls, Carl. You're kicked, and your nose is bleeding because I've just headbutted you. Yeah, but. The reason I mentioned this is not only to show that Carl and Rachel had broken up two days prior to Zach missing, but also because when she was first questioned by police after Zach's disappearance, Rachel had a very large black eye that she attempted to wear sunglasses to cover up. But police made her remove them, and that was the explanation that she gave for how she obtained a black eye. Or I got sucked. She had a hickey eye. A hick eye. It's not a black eye. It's a hickey eye. No, it's a hick eye. Hick eye. H-I-C-K-E-Y-E. Yeah. Hick eye. So there's that. I don't that. even know what to say right now. Well, I wonder. I feel is like it, it would story? leave. I feel like it would leave a different mark than being punched. Than Can I try it? Trauma. Can I try it? Your eyelashes are so long that I would. They would literally brush the back of my throat. <laughs> you have a gag reflex. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> me man oh god that is not where we were supposed to go this no. this afternoon no as much as i love you and i'm into whatever i'm relatively creative you're not gonna let me suck your eyeball. i do not give you consent okay to punch me in the not face even for research purposes or suck my eyeball okay you know who we should ask Wes. jason oh. <laughs> either either one of them would work oh actually yeah you can't punch Wes in the face though he's very fragile yeah so for Wes we're gonna suck his eyeball but and we'll punch, punch Jason. Jason that actually would be amazing this is Let like me do what this. are those um that game where you either you know kill it or do it oh, or, oh yeah that one yeah, yeah. that gate's like yeah. that game yep yep you're I right won't, I won't get into it in detail <laughs> it's gonna be funny if Jason ever no, decides to listen to this audience. episode he won't he won't because he's not on it. And so I'd be like, well, well sorry. This, yeah, I'm sorry, everybody. You just caught me so off guard. This isn't as bad as when you told me the really awful brain bath story that I'm right. still traumatized right. by. But um, it's bad enough that my eye hurts. Yeah. I But I just question if it's real. I, I We don't know. We I, don't know. And here's the thing. I can't give you that answer. We don't know. Okay. This was just her explanation. I think that's probably fair. So let me take you to the morning of Zach's disappearance. It's February 6th, 1996. He's up early for school because he wanted to get to what was being what was called the good guy breakfast to attend. This was a breakfast where kids brought their fathers to school before school for breakfast. Okay. Police interviews later show that teachers at the school knew of Rachel and Carl breaking up, but Zach indicated that he was bringing someone to the good guy breakfast. Teachers knew it was not likely his father since he was in Colorado, but thought maybe Carl was willing to attend despite the breakup. But the teachers never asked him who he was bringing when he was chatting the day prior to his disappearance about how, quote, we will be there in the morning. (coughs) Okay. They're asking, teachers are asking, and he's like, yeah, we'll be there in the morning, but they don't know who we is. So anyway, 
Zach's up early. Zach is 4'6", 85 pounds at the time. He has dark hair, dark complected with brown eyes. He's dressed in a blue denim jacket with green sleeves and a blue football jersey with his last name, Ramsey, imprinted on the back in gold letters. Okay. He was wearing stonewashed jeans and a black and black high top sneakers. So he called a goodbye to his mom around 7.34 a.m. up the stairs. Like, he's downstairs. He's like, hey, mom, you know, bye. Before the school or heading to breakfast? Yep, before walking out the door, never to be seen again. Mm. What I'm going to take you through is witness remarks gathered by police after Zach left his home. So these are the last known moments of Zach through other people's testimony. But that was the last contact, 7.34 a.m., that his mom. mom. Yep. So witnesses named... um, Marvin, Melissa, and Helen Henry all saw Zach. Henry is the last name, by the way. All three are the Henrys. Yep. Marvin, Melissa, and Helen Henry all saw Zach walking down the alley on 5th Street on his way to Whittier School, where he attended. Okay. Carol Henry reported that she saw Zach in the alley as he was crossing to 5th Avenue and called out to him because she witnessed him almost get struck by a white late 1980s style four-door car. That is the exact description of the car that David David. Brown was driving and had access to that morning because it's his mother's car and she was out of town for a family funeral. Okay. So Zach kept walking towards and she called out and was like, hey, watch out. Like, oh my gosh, that car Car almost almost hit hit you. you. I can hear it. Zach kept walking towards 6th Avenue. Now, a Mig- Mrs. Margarita Richardson Margarita. lived in the apartments by 6th, about a block from where Zach lived. She said that she was at her kitchen sink and saw Zach standing between two garages that sat at the end of the alley. He was standing there looking around as if he was waiting and looking for someone. He was turning his head from side to side, and she wishes that she had watched him just a little bit longer. Patrick Hall, who lived close to where the alley leads into 6th Avenue, saw a child matching Zach's description crossing 6th Street with a very large, fat, adult male following a few feet behind him. Who matches David Brown's description. description. Now, a man named Michael McIntyre was also getting ready for the good guy breakfast that morning, and he recalled that at 7.15 he took out the garbage to the dumpster. Because he's a good guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is in the alley behind his home on Fifth Avenue. He said he saw David Brown leaning against a dumpster, smoking a cigarette, as we have seen this description before, because he leans and smokes. That's what he does. And when he said hello to him, he just took a long drag on his cigarette, flicked his butt to the ground, and nodded a hello back. Oh, I can see it right now. Did you Mm -hmm. see me? I'm like this. Right. Yep, exactly. Michael McIntyre was not surprised to see David Brown there because he had been seeing the guy hanging out in the alley, talking and playing with boys for about a month now. Ew. He was usually there in the mornings. You're watching him groom children, sir. I know. He was usually there in the mornings when the kids were on their way to school and then would show back up about 2.30 when the kids got out of school. When he was leaving with his daughter to get to the breakfast, Michael saw Zach just walking into the alley on 6th. David Brown was still standing at the dumpster, somewhere between 6th Avenue. And when the alley comes out on 7th, Zach Ramsey vanished. At the good guy breakfast, Zach's absence was noticed. When it was over and he was still not at school, they contacted Rachel about 9 a.m. 
Rachel went home to make sure that he was not just, you know, that he hadn't come back home. Now, Zach had run away once before about a month prior to this, but called Rachel within an hour asking her to come and pick him up. Rachel arrived at the school at 10 a.m. They had already contacted, the school had already contacted the police who were there asking questions. So, of course, initially they're not panicking and just hoping that he would show up later that night when he's there, when there was still no sign of him. That's when Rachel files the missing, missing persons report. Of course. Detective Belushi, as we mentioned in the last yes. episode, was first on the case and started the interviews, including asking where she got her black eye. She told Rachel told Belushi that recently Zach had been asking her for a male friend in his life. Since his father was a master sergeant in the Air Force in Colorado, he was not around much. Rachel focused a lot on Franz Ramsey, but Detective Belushi really did not like, really did not feel like this could be linked to a, you know, to to the dad to like a, a parent abduction. She he is really feeling like, I feel like uh, this could be linked to a known pedophile in our area, David Brown. Oh, yeah. Or maybe even someone you've been around. Right. But we have no reason to suspect military dad who's not in town. So that morning, he (laughs) goes to David Brown's house. No one answers the door. The blinds are drawn. And he leaves his card. Yes. The timeline is making sense in my brain right now. Yes. This is, the card is then found later by Pam. Pam. Mm Mm-hmm. His fiance. Yes. Former. Right. Uh, Franz Ramsey and his wife Cynthia arrive by flight about 1.40 p.m. from Colorado. Rachel told Dr. Epsi that on the drive from the airport, all Franz wanted to do was bitch at her about how she had not bought Zach named brand shoes and wanted to know what she was doing with his child support money, if not supporting his child with name brand shoes. We don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't know. There's well, no I statement really from like, Franz. I really like that. I, I don't child support isn't to buy children. You buy them well, name brand shoes then. Child support so that your wife can Putting a fucking can roof live, over their head? Can pay rent, yeah. can live. Food. Yeah, exactly. By the end of the drive. Oh, but again, it's I'll so throw weird. this out there. We don't actually know that that statement was made. Because okay. this is just Rachel, you know, bro- wanting... To, Rachel wants to focus on Franz. And Rachel's done some weird stuff. Yeah. And she, she, she wants to put the focus on Franz. So she's going to do anything she can to paint him in a very negative light. Dude, your child's missing work together. Right. By the end of the drive, it's obvious that they could not, that they would not be capable of spending more time together while looking for their son. That is my next <laughs> statement Good after you just said that. Detective Belushi drove the couple to a local hotel and made sure that they did not have to deal with one another for too long. At 2.30, Belushi went back to David's Brown, David Brown's house to make contact. When he didn't know, what he didn't know until much later is that he had just missed David. Because David had went to the convenience store located right across the parking lot from his apartment with complaints that he had hurt. I said convenience store. Honey, I am so sorry. A convenience care. He went to the hospital oh, that was located okay. across the Not street. A store. He went to a convenience My care. apologies. Like an urgent care. My notes say convenient care. And I said store, so I'm, I yeah. apologize. But do you remember in Word the last episode how Pam was mad at David and she walked across to the hospital and fell Same asleep one. in a patient's room? Yes. It's this hospital. Okay. So he went there because he had complaints that he had hurt his index finger and his right leg. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's 2.30 p.m. That's where he is, just misses Detective Belushi. Um, so also what we know. David's brother, Bob, 
was concerned when he learned that there was a young boy missing because he knew that his mother was out of town for a funeral, so which means no babysitter for David. And he would have access to her white 1980s model four-door vehicle. Which they know was used. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there going, I know someone who would do this. And I know someone who had access to that car. So Bob goes to check on his mother's house. Okay. And he is pissed to find that David had tracked mud all over the new carpet that Bob had just installed and left mud and twigs all over the bathtub. Oh, did he now? Bob cleaned it up and threw away the towels that he used to clean it up in the dumpster, which was collected the next morning. It wasn't until after it was collected and he had cleaned it up that he had learned of the the local missing 10-year-old, Zach Ramsey. So report it. Well, he, he did. He does. Like, does it, did he report but, that he cleaned it all up and put it in the dumpster yeah, too? He, so he was just, there blood that we know of or was it just dirt and He shows and, up, like he, he finds out that they're... So he, what happened was he went and checked on the house first. I realize I just made it sound like he went to check on the house because he was concerned Zach was missing. No, he went to check on the house because his mom was away at a funeral. He finds this mess. Then later he learns that there's a missing 10 year old boy and he's like, oh shit. So he contacts the police and says, I cleaned this up. That makes more sense. Yep. Like he knows David's irresponsible asshole. That's why he was going over. Oh, fuck. I better go check on my mom's house because David's been left unattended. Yes. Then he finds out. Oh, lovely. Yes. I cleaned all this up. There's a missing kid. Yep. It wasn't until after he cleaned it up and it's like two days later. So the dumpster has already been taken, you know, out. But he did report that to, to the police. The police wanted to know, like, can you tell if the garage door has been opened, you know, since your mom left? There was no way to ascertain that. No. they, You know, no. Um, okay. So I'm going to bring you back now here. What Bob is able to piece together for the police, too, is that his mother was out of town from January 26th until she returned on February 16th. David avoided talking to anyone, including Bob, including his girlfriend, he wouldn't answer the door. That's right. Pam lived there, wasn't allowed in her own house. Right. Okay. So right in that time frame on February 6th is when Zach disappears. Of yeah, course. Disposing of him. Right. Exactly. Of course, uh, neighborhood searches and the like happened and there was no trace of him. Even cadaver, do- cadaver dogs were brought in, which he did roll and rip over um, like his clothing and they did bag some of his um of those for like blood evidence but other than that there was no sign that he had um been harmed in the apartment at all in, so like in in, in, in david's own, apartment no, or in his own apartment in zach i believe that zach had left for school yep. he was he was assaulted he yep. was kidnapped in the alley yep the evidence is in that white car and I possibly at his mom's house and also at david's house well they took the dogs to carl's place <laughs> to oh. carl's place carl's his boyfriend David's boyfriend. Oh, her ex-boyfriend. That's right. Sorry. I'm getting the boys confused here. That's all right. Yep. So they take the dogs to Carl's place and they did not hit on the cadaver dogs, but they did see that on the tailgate, um, Zach had painted Zach rules on the inside of, of the tailgate. That's funny. That is something my kid would do. Wash me. I know. Right. Well. Zach rules. Right. Um, and, and I told you Carl's story is sad. Yes. About a year after Zach's disappearance, Carl did complete suicide. That would have been like his third or fourth attempt. Yeah. 
On the day he disappeared, Detective Belushi wanted Rachel to go on local TV and plead that he return, thinking he was a runaway because he sure. had done it a year, a month prior. She agreed, but she spent what Detective Belushi felt was a large amount of time primping and making herself look good for the camera, and this bothered him. She said that she needed to be strong for her son, and she was not going to cry on TV. February 7th, Detective Belushi and Special Agent James Wilson of the FBI arrived to interview Rachel again and noticed that her two children, two-year-old Isaac and four-year-old Simone, were playing blocks away from the unsupervised home. I, or from the home unsupervised. I wish I could say me. this shocked me, but Jason and I have even lived in town here before and had neighbors whose two-year-old was wearing a diaper wandering around on the sidewalk. I went outside. I'm like, where are the effing parents? Like, there is a road right here. This is how some people are. Okay, but her child had just been abducted. Yeah. And she's okay with her other two children being unsupervised So was this make, she's a terribly negligent mother. Are they starting to suspect her of something? I'm just going to keep going through it. Okay. Because I can see where she would have to be a suspect at some yeah, point. I, I mean, I, I agree. You have to rule it out. You have to rule the parents out. When questioned about this, Rachel said that they were fine. She had been checking on them, but it was very clear to the detectives that she had no idea where they had been. Just okay. one day after her son went missing. So, yes, they were considering her a prime suspect at yeah. this time. <laughs> That's literally in my notes. I'm like, I know yep. I'm getting to it. However, she has an alibi in that she was attending school to be an interior designer, and it was confirmed that she was in class at school about 30 minutes after Zach left for school. Let's be honest. From a psychological standpoint, she has an alibi because she is a hands-off mother who doesn't know what any of her fucking kids are doing, right. so she didn't care enough. She wouldn't care enough to be around them to kill them. Well, I mean, she's just doing her thing. Right. What she had done was Zach left for school. She dropped the other two children off at the babysitter and then went for her 8 a.m. class. She did arrive at her 88, 8, 8, oh my God, her 8 a.m. class at 8.15, but the professor said that she's often late for class, so this was not anything unusual at all. She's running late. I mean, Zach said bye to her at 7.34, okay. so she's got to get the other two kids to from 7.34, get the other two kids around, dropped off And at she's daycare. still upstairs when he yells to yeah, her. Yeah, she like, was getting ready. Okay. Yep, she was still getting ready. And then yeah, get to I class by 8.15. She's not yeah. mother of the year, but she didn't, no, she didn't right. do it. Doesn't mean she didn't know who does. I mean, you know, let's throw all possibilities out there. Sure. Anyway, after putting I together. I have some questions, but I'm assuming you'll get to them. I want to know if she knows David. We'll get to it. Okay, thank yeah. you. After putting together a timeline, they discovered that between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. on the night Zach went missing, Rachel was unaccounted for. Her family left at 9 p.m. This was quote from Rachel. I had fucking had enough of them. End quote. They had called her babysitter, asked her to come watch the two youngsters because she needed, or she had called, excuse me. Rachel had called her babysitter and asked her babysitter to come watch the two youngsters because she needed to get out and look for Zach. So between 9 p.m. on the night Zach went missing and 1 a.m., the babysitter is there and Rachel's unaccounted for because she said she's out looking for Zach. Sure. She said that she was looking in all the dumpsters. She got home about 1 a.m. I would take someone with me, but I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that she wasn't out looking for him. Um, she said she got home. She cried it out. And there, excuse me, she cried out, okay, it's not funny anymore, bring my fucking kid back, and then went back to his room, crawled under his desk, pulled his clothing all around her, and bawled for hours in the darkness. Another mm -hmm. piece, 
Rachel said that she did not sleep for two days after his disappearance. And right before noon on the 7th, okay, um, so this is like literally the day after he, but she didn't sleep the night he disappeared or and she felt like she had been up for two days essentially. Okay. So right before noon on the 7th, she said she got a call from a stranger claiming to have info on who took her son. She was told to meet this person in Paris Gibson Park in downtown Great Falls at 10 p.m. Rachel did not report this to the police. Why? And said that she was so exhausted from the last two days that at 8 p.m. she fell asleep on the couch, didn't wake up until 2 a.m., realizing that she'd missed the meeting. Uh, I don't believe it. I just don't, I don't know. I'm sorry, but as a parent, if somebody tells you that you've, they've got information, you don't fall asleep. Even if you're not planning on telling the police, you don't fall asleep. No. Like, sorry. I just, I don't, that something rubs me wrong about all of that. Yeah. Especially since it had already been reported to the police. Why wouldn't she have continued to report mm-hmm. things to the police? She had gone out. She cared so much to go out looking for her child the night before that she right. didn't get home till one, two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You're going to call the police with any leads you have. One would think. Detective Belushi wanted wanted her to see a photo of Zach, or excuse me, a photo of David to identify him. But she was too busy to come down to the station no. to do that. So he came to her. Okay. He shows her a picture of David Brown. All right. She claimed she had never seen him before in her life. But the detective knew that, that, that she must have because they all went to the same church. Right. Of course she's seen David before. Yeah, they, he's the creeper hanging out with all the little boys. Right. But he has he had been able through his interviews with her to determine that she goes they go to the same church. Yeah. So of course you've seen him. She denies it. Says she doesn't know who he is. He does finally get a hold of David Brown on February eighth, and they arrange for him to come in for an interview on February twenty sixth at one thirty. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why. He never showed. Because Bob advised him that he should not meet with the police alone and wanted him to talk to a lawyer instead. So he did. And his lawyer advised him not to go. Right. Yeah. 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 We don't, we don't tell guilty people to go talk to the police. Mm-hmm. On February 20th. Sometimes we don't let innocent people talk to them either, though. Right. Not alone. On February 26th, a woman called the police station and said she needed to report some suspicious activity around Whittier School. Two and a half weeks before, before, which would have been like really close to the time that Zach disappeared, yeah. her son came home and told her that a very fat man was dressed in a police uniform and tried to get him to come into his car saying that she had been hurt and he was going to take him to his mother. All right. That sounds so, familiar. Yeah. So she called the police station and was like, I need to report this. This happened a couple of weeks ago. Now with this kid missing, like you need to know this information. All right, so now let's get a little bizarre. Like it wasn't before? No, now it's really going to get bizarre. Oh, sure. Bring me, give it to me. Give me the weird. Oh, lots of weird coming okay. up. The agent who had the cadaver dogs was named Denny Adams. Remember, they took the cadaver dogs to Carl's what place. Else? Yep. Okay. Rachel shows up a few days after the, the um, Rachel showed up a few days after the final search that had been completed for Zach with his dogs, with Denny Adams' dogs. Rachel wanted to talk to him about her, what her theories were, okay? So 
she was focused to this this Denny Adams. She was very focused on Franz, her ex-husband. Yes. She was acting a bit odd during this convo, wearing an oversized knit sweater, and she kept adjusting and, and excusing herself to the restroom. He he thought that possibly she was taping the conversation. I was just say she wearing a wire mm-hmm. or something. He never really trusted her. But then she said that she believed an alien abduction was also possible in her son's case if it was not his father. Well, that's a stretch. Well, later, later that year, Denny Adams takes his dogs to work on a case in Minnesota where one of his dogs was poisoned and died. He was also going through a divorce at the time, so he would be moving to South Dakota to start new. Rachel contacted him again, and he told her about the dog and that he was getting divorced only to say that that's why he was moving. He's telling her, like, I'm not on Zach's case anymore, like... I'm moving. Okay. She took that as a sign that Denny was saying, read between the lines. I'm scared that someone was sending him a message for working on Zach's case. What? Yep. So she started telling people that both of his dogs had been murdered and that he had moved out of Great Falls to stop working on Zach's case or else. That's not the story. That's that not is why. Not what happened? But that's what she's like. Oh, my conversation with Denny. This is how I'm going to interpret it. Okay. He's saying I worked on Zach's case, so one of my dogs was poisoned in Minnesota. She's convinced her son's still alive. Yes. All right. So put your best supportive bra and banana hammocks on, ladies and gentlemen, because this is about to get bouncy. Okay. All right. <sighs> on the morning of Zach's disappearance. Rachel said she received an, an anonymous phone call from someone telling her to get into contact with two well-known psychics in the area called the Ladies, Darlene and Dolores Gust- Gustavich. All right, they're the ladies that had worked several high-profile murder cases before, including Bundy, and they came very highly regarded. Okay. Okay? I am okay with this. This isn't the weird shit. They offered for Detective Belushi, Belushi excuse me, to be there too in case any... Important information came out, but he just responded to Rachel saying that. No, thank you. Yeah. What he said was like, that's fine, but I really, I didn't, he just said, I didn't know that you were into the occult. And it's like, well, okay, psychics really aren't the occult, but she's like, whatever, you know, that's fine. They recorded the session. It was about an hour long. They said they felt that Zach was still alive. Now, this is all happening on the day that he went missing. Which in all likelihood, if it was David Brown that killed him, he was likely still alive because there is photographs so that were found in David's you know, house. So it is possible that David was kept alive. I mean, yeah, it, we don't know when those we don't know when those photos were taken. Did they I didn't know mean each David. other before? I meant Zach. They I'm, did know I each other Zach before. Too. Mm-hmm. Zach and David, right from church. They yeah, church and also remember in the previous episode about that creepy guy doc that would groom downtrodden kids from the streets he was one of the kids zach was one of the kids and doc got him that's where they met okay all right so so this is what the the psychics originally say they said that they saw him in a truck near judith gap montana which is about an hour away from grape falls and that they also saw him in an area near dearborn the tape was given to the police. The dogs went to Dearborn, no hit, and police went to Judith Gap, no trace of him. Okay. However, when the tape was given back to the um, the ladies, 
Darlene was interviewed by Dr. Epsi, and she said in her interview that there were parts of the tape that had been erased. And this really frustrated them because they had not made any notes. Right. And felt that the erased parts were really good clues, and they're now lost forever. Okay. Okay. Over the next two weeks, Rachel continued to meet daily with the ladies. Throughout this time, they felt that he was definitely being held in the Dearborn area and was being brainwashed and held against his will, which is a very, which Dearborn is a very small town that's hard to get to in the mountains and is used typically for beer, beer, for deer camps and the like. Yes, beer too. Deer camp, beer camp. Deer camp, yep. Once you get past the Dearborn Inn, you get into some really rough terrain that you need a four-wheeler to access. So picture that if you will. We know those places. we sure do. So Rachel drove herself to Dearborn, hell-bent on getting her son that she believed was being held against his will and kept alive. When she got past the inn, she floored her 1988 Oldsmobile Delta up the mountain on the muddy, narrow road, um, and her car overheats. She gets it turned around, and while she is still waiting for it to cool down before making her way back down the mountain, two men stopped in a Jeep, shocked that she had made it up so far with her vehicle. Right. Rachel believed that they were cops sent to follow her. Okay. okay. Which one of them actually did end up being a cop. Off but he, duty. Yeah, no, he was on his own time. He had a deer camp up on the mountain, so he was checking it, sure. which is why he stopped to make sure that he that she was okay because he's a police officer. Sure, absolutely. And he recognized her because she had been all over the papers. And so later in interviews, he did confirm that she did drive that vehicle up the mountain looking for her son. Okay. When she returned to the Dearborn Inn, her car was caked in mud, and she asked if there was anyone available to take her back up the mountain. She said her son was being held in the mountains in a cabin and that she would be able to identify which one by the energy it omitted. Okay. A beardly fellow volunteered to take her up in his truck. She's doing some weird things, Charnel. Mm-hmm. He even told her stories on the way up, like how he and his wife, who they passed on their way up the mountain. She's... In this man's truck. And he's like, oh, there's my wife. And they're just waving. They were nudists. And it's a good thing that it was winter. Otherwise, they would have, she would have found them naked. So there's that. I just wanted to throw that in there. It's the old fellers trying to try to hit on her a little bit. So let me invite you to my nature reserve. (laughs) So when they arrive at a cabin, Rachel notices one has a deadbolt on it. So she breaks it and she goes in because she's like, all these other cabins just have locks. Why does this one have a deadbolt on it? But so I guess that's the energy that it was omitting that she could feel. She claims to have found a box of markers that she had recently purchased for Zach in the cabin. There was also evidence people had recently been staying there. A box of markers, Charnel? Mm -hmm. Like that anyone can buy at a store? How are they identifiable as his, as Zach's? Well, that's those are all wonderful questions, Judge Megan. Oh my God, this one has purple. Mm. Zach's had purple too. In a hurry to get back down to town, uh, they uh, sorry. In a hurry to get back down to town, they left the box of markers. Uh, this is a huge loss in this case. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how they could ever solve it without the markers that everybody in the entire world owns. Has, yeah, yep. Rachel said in their rush, she forgot to grab the markers. Okay. Now, 
at about the same time Rachel was headed to Dearborn. In the first place. Yes. Her father was in Great Falls, stopping at a local bar. He looked over and he saw Zach in the back of a red pickup truck. Her dad did? Her dad did. That was in the space in front of him. He didn't know what to do. He knew Rachel was in Dearborn, you know, no cell phones. So he went instead. He went right to Dearborn where there is really only one place that she can be at, which is the inn because that's the only place in Dearborn. All right. Now, when he arrives at the inn, he instinctively parked behind some bushes and he doesn't know why. And he sees the same pickup truck that Zach was in and Zach is still inside it. So Zach, they were in Great Falls. Now they're all in Dearborn. And a few parking spaces down was Rachel's Oldsmobile. He claimed that he was about to walk to the pickup truck when none other than Detective Belushi and FBI agent Wilson walk out of the Dearborn Inn. He wanted to watch this, so he drove a little way up the, up the lane past the inn, and when he did, he ran into Rachel and the bearded fellow coming down the mountain. He waved them down and told them what happened. Rachel gets out of the bearded fellow's truck, jumps in her father's vehicle. They speed back down to the Dearborn Inn, but it was too late. The red truck was gone. Detective Belushi and Wilson were also gone. So this is when Rachel becomes convinced that her ex-husband, Franz Ramsey, who is a master sergeant in the Air Force, is behind her son's disappearance. Or aliens. Covering it up. And she believes this whole thing is even bigger than Zach. The ladies thought so too. They told Rachel that a black suburban with tinted windows and a government license plate now followed them everywhere. Just describe my vehicle. For sure. It sure did. (laughs) Um, It now followed the ladies everywhere. And that Rachel discovered she was also being followed. They were convinced that Zach was alive, and so they dedicated all their time and resources to finding him. They were feeling that Zach had been moved um, to some cave several miles out of Old Highland Road. The three of them decided to go looking. Has this woman had a mental break? I don't because know. of the disappearance of her son. I don't. I can't answer that question. I think that we should we should consider all possibilities. Just as the, and okay, yeah. Just as the road turned to gravel to lead them to the caves, Darlene, one of the ladies, looked into the rearview mirror, and the black suburban with government plates was right behind them. All right, I'm gonna need you guys to hang on because we're about to experience some turbulence. Okay, got those supportive banana hammocks. It is. Am bras. I gonna see lights from above? Nope. So from the, below. So the story goes. That they were being chased by this black suburban, and just as the black suburban was about to slam into the back of them, they called out to their angels for protection. And I'm not slandering angels and protection and or, or even psychics, but we'll get to this. They called out to their angels for protection, and the car was then levitated off the road, turned around so that they're now facing the suburban, and then placed gently back down so that they're now speeding the, the same direction that they had came and whomever was driving the Suburban was so taken aback that they had come to a full stop allowing the ladies to floor it past them. To me it sounds like the car flipped a couple times, they all <laughs> hit their heads and they ended up in the opposite direction from Maybe. which they were traveling. Maybe. I have to I have to find some way to make this fit other than well, that 
this woman I mean, is crazy. I mean, there's plenty of stories, right, about that. I just don't know that this is what, you know, they, they were, pay, Rachel is paying these psychics. There are, there are people out there who will take advantage of, you know, that ability, right? Like, most let's i have there have been a few cases where we've got some really great contact information from psychics and they've they've had it's followed through there's evidence has turned up as a result right right so those cases because you know i'm a naysayer anyway but those cases i was like okay so this person is obviously in touch with it at a different level right yeah for the most part i think my opinion is 99 percent of them are out there to take Take advantage advantage. okay Mm mm-hmm and they're not working with the police. No, that yeah, that's they're working the thing. with well, this mom, they're a working desperate with, mom. They're working with the mom, and the police aren't even willing to entertain it. I don't know what outcomes could have came should they had they worked with the police. I don't know. Well, at this point, I don't. But think they're the going, police are usually willing to entertain it until you come up with something. Until they well, but the they, medium comes up. Well, with something. these two had a really strong. They worked on the Bundy case. Okay. But here's they had a strong reputation. They they were reputable, but. Without working with the police, or they work off of energy. So without working with the police and they're working with the mom whose energy, let's say, Megan, is maybe a little out of touch. You think? How were they supposed to get accurate information anyway? Well, right? they weren't. Right. They got, no, they weren't. My ex-husband did this or possibly For aliens sure. or... Yeah. I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. So angels save them all. Yes. And Rachel considers them lucky that their angels saved them, saved them that day. Um, they reportedly worked for two years together daily looking for Zach and the ladies put in put over a hundred thousand miles on their personal car looking for him I have a hard time believing that information that was coming from Rachel okay Okay. anyway so they would even help her with her debt by slipping her money here and there the psychics Uh uh-huh yep so Rachel is now convinced for free uh, they were paying her now yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're just really nice people. I don't know. This is sad. I'm at I'm at a loss again. This is where we're at. Rachel is now convinced more than ever that Zach's disappearance is a government cover up, likely orchestrated by his father, who in her eyes works for the government. Does he okay. drive a black suburban like no, I do? I mean he's in the Air Force. Like, no, he's of uh, he he's does. in Colorado working for the Air Force. Now let's talk about Rachel's relationship with her mother. Let's just say that it was not good. She was critical of the way that Rachel was raising Zach. She didn't like the men in and out of her life. And she felt that Zach needed to be on medication for his ADD. It's 1996. Okay. Rachel believed that she could um, help him with supplements instead. And her mother wanted Zach with his father because she thought a military upbringing would put him in his place. Oh, her own mother. Her own mother. Yep. So. Do you know, you know. If your own parents are advocating for your children to be placed with the opposite parent whom you are no longer married to, there is something there. Mm, we're going to hold on. Hold on to that thought. Okay, I will. Yeah, because I don't know how you're going to feel about this. Oh, great. I actually put, now here is the real shitty part. Okay. Remember how I told you in the beginning that Franz and Rachel were always in a custody battle? Yes. Well, for a long time, Rachel did not know how Franz was finding out so much information about her personal life. His mom. Not his mom. Or her mom, I mean. Her mom. Yeah. And thought that he, um, at one point in time, Rachel even thought that it was possible that he had bugged her apartment or something. Until there was information in one of the court documents in Zach's case that Rachel had only told one person. Her mom. And that was her mother. 
that she was able to connect the dots and realize her mom is feeding Franz information. Okay. No, no, no. You hold on to I'm that. I'm not thought. done yet. Okay. No, we're not done yet. Don't give me your opinion yet, Megan. Yep. She confronted her mom and her mom did come clean and said that she had been feeding Franz information in exchange for money. Oh. This to me can explain why she is paranoid of Franz, why she doesn't trust her mother. And when you say the statement, although I typically would agree with you about, ooh, there's a red flag when your own mother is recommending that your child be placed with the father, not when there's bribery involved, no, baby. No, you, you've ruined it with the money. Yep, yep. Even if there is any legitimacy toward it, right. now it is ruined. It's tainted. Even if he would have been the more stable parent, right? It is tainted by the fact that she was advocating for him because she was being paid to do so. Shame on you. Well, she was a paid private investigator. She was, yeah. In April of 1996, so two months after Zach's disappearance, a man and his daughter saw a denim coat with green sleeves sitting on top of a dumpster, so they reported it. Detective Belushi called Rachel in to identify the coat as Zach's, and she brought her mother. Rachel said it was it was Zach's. Her mother said that it was not, and chastised Rachel for not even knowing her own son's coat. The coat was sent for evidence and well, came back. How the hell do you know, Grandma? Right. The, the coat. Does she live with them? No. Um, the coat came back clean, by the way. So. Clean as in no DNA on it? Clean as in no DNA on it. This was according to an interview with Detective Belushi. But later, when Dr. Epsi interviewed Rachel and brought this up, she could not recall being called in to ID the coat, and especially with her mother, because she hated her mother at that time in her life because they were in the middle of that custody battle. And she found and out mom like, was selling her out. Yep. And she's like, I would never have invited my, if that meeting took place, I never would have invited my mother to come and identify that coat. So why did Detective Belushi say that I to Dr. Epsi? Right. I'm just, I'm giving what? you all the information I found. Why does Officer Belushi have any reason to embellish or right. it bothers me when people bring that stuff up about law enforcement because now I feel like I'm missing something else. Right. Is I there, know. Does I know. You have some connection to this case that we're not we aware of. We don't know. I have no reason to believe that other than what I just heard. Right. That was the first information that I found that made me raise an eyebrow as well. Okay. So six months in Rachel was, Rachel was given a polygraph. She hated the entire ordeal and thought that the interviewer was a prick. He probably she, was. He was. Well, and here's this. She was held without a cigarette break for six hours, Megan. The interviewer even lied to her and said satellite images showed Zach never left the apartment that morning. She became hysterical when this was mentioned because she started screaming that they needed to look at it and look at the image ahead of the time to see who entered her apartment that could have been why Zach is missing. She, yeah. I mean, they just pulled at her heartstrings of like, oh my God, you have images. That's wonderful. Trying Who to make went her into a, my apartment? They're trying to make her a suspect they and are. she's just got hope because they, yes. they're lying to her during the poly. They are right. A smack dab in the middle of the polygraph. And they held her for six hours no. without anything to eat, without anything to no. drink, without any breaks and no smokes. No, my good poly operators that I always worked with um, and they would video the the parts of the interview you know that weren't the actual poly itself like the post interview and stuff my god i've never seen people be so nice to suspects yeah can i get you something to eat do you want something to drink do you need to take a break would you like to smoke a cigarette like seriously exactly well this is why because stuff like this happened yeah so she thought that so so anyway when she became hysterical 
He had to come clean and say that he had lied and that there wasn't any footage because she was that hysterical about like like she passed the poly. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so she kept being told that she had killed him (laughs) and that she knew what happened to him. They told her at 4 p.m. after six hours that she had failed the polygraph. And so she called them motherfuckers and told them to either charge her or let her go. She immediately went to her car and smoked. She smoked two packs a day and also needed to pee. So this was not a controlled way to get an accurate polygraph, as you can see. She had not confessed, and even the police know the failed polygraph was administered administered under duress and didn't mean anything at that point in time. Not admissible in court anyway, but also, it was done in such a manner that it's not even helpful. Well, and then later there's information that where she is be, was told that she didn't fail it. So she doesn't even know if they lied. She thinks they lied to her and said she failed it when she didn't really. And then they when she's faux, like, were they doing a faux poly? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but when there's a polygraph that's actually done, you get a piece of paper and um, at least the prosecution does. And the defense attorney does too, if they're the ones that hire the poly person. And the three questions, usually three are on there mm-hmm. and, and it's typed how they answered it. And then it says right at the bottom, like whether they passed or failed or that yeah. whether there was any deception noted. Right. It, it's one tiny piece of paper, sometimes two. It's signed. Yeah. Like you would know it's there. No, none of that happened for Rachel. None of that happened for Rachel. Maybe they do polys different in Montana. <sighs> well, it's 1996. Yeah, we can't always use so, that. They've been around a while. I know, but I don't know what they're... How... Okay, also... Tactics and methods. The other thing, too, how experienced are they in this small town in Great Falls given police? You don't know. Right. You don't know. So, Franz... So many variables. Franz was never considered a suspect of any kind. They did give him and his wife a polygraph, and they both were said to have passed. No, it was not administered under duress. Their apartment was also searched in Colorado, and they found no sign of Zach, but there was a baby. Now, they did not have kids, but the baby did not concern the police, who at the time were looking for a 10-year-old boy. Then a few days later, when they returned, a 10-year-old little girl answered the door. So now, when Rachel finds this out, she's convinced that Zach was being dressed as a girl. I think Rachel's lost her fucking mind, Charnel. Well, I just, I think that I, I won't judge her state of mind Me when she's either. got her kid missing, right? Me either. I'm, I'm not saying it's not justified, but I think she has had a mental break. But she's also trying to point out why was there a baby there? Why was there a baby there? They're, they were never given an explanation. We don't know if they were babysitting somebody's baby. I don't know. Maybe they were babysitting this 10-year-old little girl. I'm not sure. But I can see why she would be like, hold the phone. Why is there a baby? They don't have a baby. Why is there a 10-year-old girl? Are you sure that wasn't my son? Right. I, 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 you know, she wants them. She's trying to hold them accountable. Like, look into things. Well, she's already decided it because, was her ex-husband. Because these are, Mon, or these are Colorado police, not Montana people. She's just trying to, like, think of all the, the possibilities because this is what, you know. Did they go to the wrong house? No. Okay. No. But um, do we get an answer about the no, baby or we the 10-year-old girl? We do not. Then, three months after he disappeared, I know, Rachel called Franz and she taped the conversation without him knowing. It was a pleasant enough convo, but Rachel was- That's legal. Yeah. Rachel was convinced that she heard Zach in the background say, hey, is that mom? Oh, honey, she wants her baby. So bad. Yeah. This isn't real. She took the tape to the police, but they did not do anything with it and accused her of being a smokescreen trying to divert the attention off herself. I don't think that was a smokescreen. I think she's had a mental break. This is what bothers me. They have all this information on David. 
And they're put. They're making Rachel, Rachel was their prime suspect. This is killing me because like, first of all, I'm sorry for those of you that believe it, but I there's no stock in any of the investigation that Rachel started on her own with these psychics or anyone else. This woman is having a mental breakdown because her son is gone. But she's also the prime suspect. She is. Like, how, why? Because she's weird. Because she had a, yes, because she's weird and she had a black eye and she did weird things and said that she got a phone call. I mean, it's all kinds of messed up. She's you see why I had to, to make this yes. its own case, right? She's continued to search for her son by doing weird things and going up into the mountains and hiring guides and hiring psychics yep. and yep. but yep. nothing can pinpoint her, or put her at No. No, there's and no evidence has, in that God, apartment. No. She has a legit An alibi. alibi. Yes, exactly. So, and then we've got David over here. We also have, right. This no just alibi. Not, not being investigated. Yep. All of his potential alibis are going to say, well, he was, I was out of town at a funeral. I mm -hmm. was checking mom's house because mom was out of town at a funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, he wouldn't let me in my own house. There right, were weird exactly. smells coming from there. Like, come on. Yep. Come on. Yep. Rachel had not made any plans for a candlelight visual on the one-year anniversary of his disappearance, so Detective Belushi did. Rachel almost missed this because she had actually appeared on the Montel Williams show on February 5th, 1997 for the one-year anniversary. That's now, so weird. Belushi was pissed that she didn't make plans for a candlelight visual. I got to be honest with you. If my kid ever went missing, Megan, I don't know that I'm that I want to do that. The Does it make me culpable in some no. way because I don't do a candlelight vigil in but, a year? But they're saying, do that. they're saying that it does because they wanted it because they wanted to look at who shows up. They want to see who's going to return, right? And it's so they wanted tactic. it. I love it. Sure. So do it. But when I do want to say this, when Rachel appeared on the Montel Williams show, February 5th, 1997, Montel grilled her and all but accused her of knowing where her son is and what happened to her son. Then he had the audacity to give her a signed black and white photo of himself thanking her for coming on the show afterwards. I, um, in 1995, my class trip was to New York, and we went to go see Montel Williams. Oh I was on TV. That's right. We were on it. Wow. My high school class was, and there was a psychic on that day. Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, I'm, yeah, no, I'm not a, sorry guys, I'm not a Montel fan. I'm not, a, not, I'm not a fan either. Yeah. No. I'd rather um, Oprah, you get a car and you get a car. That's yeah, much happier. Right. For sure. Now, Rachel did almost miss this um, candlelight vigil that she didn't plan. That she didn't plan. Exactly. Because of flight things. But in her interview with Dr. Epsi, she said that she was at a bar um, the night after the taping. Okay. Because it was going to air February 5th, but the night of the, the taping, like the day before, whatever. Um, so she was at a bar and an hour after she arrived, the bartender told her that cops were looking for her. And she told them that she was just on the Montel show and why and what was going on. So the bartender told her that he understood and told her to hide in the lady's stall and he would tell her when it was safe. Well, then that, that happens and that held her up a little bit. She fell asleep at the airport, missed her plane back to Great balls for the vigil and had got into a huge fight with the airport about getting her on the next flight she falls asleep a lot she does she fell asleep in the airport so she arrived just she also in fell time. asleep instead of meeting the she person did. in the park about that her might son have that, information that i don't think ever happened because it's mm -hmm. in her brain correct or it's not and she's just really trying to like 
throw things out there to show that this could be a conspiracy against her ex-husband. You know what I mean? Like, I, she might not even be crazy. She might just I think be calculated. She's making it up. So she did arrive just in time um, for the vigil, and they did watch the attendees. Now, the most disturbing thing, this, is, this case just keeps getting weirder and weirder. There was a young man standing at this vigil openly masturbating in public. What? I know. I know. There was one point in time where I'm reading these books and I was like, did the publisher accidentally put another book in the middle of this book? (laughs) Because what am I reading right now? Yeah. So. There's a teenage boy openly masturbating at a candlelight vigil. Yes, but it gets even worse. Okay. How? They go to his home after his arrest and find that he had an underground tunnel from his house to his garage just in case he ever needed to make a fast getaway. He was married with two kids. Oh, it's not a teenager. No. No, Did I say? I said young man. I said teenager. Okay. It was, they described him as a young man. Okay. Um, now here's what gets even fucking weirder. Oh God. They discovered that he was actually the stepson of a truck driver who had called in a bogus sighting of Zach earlier in his disappearance, whom when they investigated him, turns out he was a child predator. Stepdad was? Stepdad was. Right? Okay. And he he calls in this bogus truck driving sighting of Zach, discover he's a child predator. He, he had stuff in his truck. That's how they discovered that. And then a year later at this vigil, his stepson, who has an underground tunnel to his garage, leading from his you know garage out, whatever, was mass- openly masturbating at Zach's vigil. Why? What? what is happening right now? I don't know. I told you I had to double check and make sure I was reading the same books. Okay. I think maybe, but is there some weird like conspiracy sex ring? I don't even know what's yes, happening. Yes, I'm right about now. to get to it. Hold did, on. Did all of these people visit Epstein's Island? I don't know. <laughs> I don't Hold on. Know. It, I'm, I'm taking us down an even deeper rabbit hole. So I can't, Alice. I didn't eat the <laughs> make me small thing. I, I can't do it. Make me small thing. I'm too big for this space. <laughs> I don't want to go. All right. So now it's early 1997. Pinch me. I don't know if I'm awake still. I know, right? <laughs> She's We're here. We're here. Me. It's early 1997 and the Great Falls police receive a call from a neighbor of two adults named Douglas and Kathleen, Kathleen Ditch. They live in Italy. What? The neighbor said they had, so Kathleen and Douglas Ditch say that their neighbor has a son who looks just like Zach Ramsey and his name is also Zach, but with a K. They sent a video of him playing in his backyard. Rachel is convinced that this is her son. I will tell you that later FBI agents are able to fingerprint and DNA swab Zach from the UK Zach Ditch. or Italy, excuse me. And um, it is not her Zach, okay. not the same Zach. All there right. are doppelgangers. There is, but this makes matters even thicker for Rachel. Okay. Like she, she's so in the conspiracy stuff. She is. And she said that she could feel Zach's energy from the video. Of course she can. Cause she wants to, because it's her, son you know what i mean she wants it to be her son i am sorry if you guys can hear my dogs <laughs> wrestling. i am dying i've been listening to this for it's went from room to room too <laughs> they are they're like when are you going to be done podcasting so you can let us out mom it's cavapoo mania they're so precious <laughs> okay so this is is even deeper in rachel's opinion 
that there's some sort of conspiracy. All right. And she is linking this all back to a woman named Joan Cook. Joan Cook is Franz's attorney in Great Falls. That Remember the custody battle? I remember. That they were in. And Franz she, lives in Colorado yep. where he's in the military, but yep. he, of course, has a hometown attorney. Yep. She Jane be- Cook. She, Joan. Joan Cook. She believed it was Joan Cook who was the mastermind behind Franz because Franz was not smart enough to come up with all of this on his own. I doubt it. She had a private uh, pilot, and she had a place in Seattle. She even tracked down the pilot and discovered that he had five locks on his door. Oh, no. She felt like this was suspicious. It's excessive. Yeah. So her theory is this. Her ex-boyfriend, Carl, was paid by Joan Cook to take Zach from the alley that day. Carl could have even drugged him. She never believed Carl killed himself. Even reading the story in the paper and seeing the wreckage of the vehicle, she called Darlene, one of the ladies, and told her about Carl killing himself in this truck accident. Okay. Darlene said that she had just saw Carl the day before walking into Joan's Co- Joan Cook's office. Oh, All have right? you, Darlene? Yep. Well, and she might have. Like, Darlene might have. But she thinks that once Joan got Zach... She took him to the cabins. She she believes she believes that Carl's dead, but she thinks Joan Cook had him run off the road. She doesn't believe that Carl killed himself. Okay. Okay. So now that Darlene told her that you know Carl was walking into Joan's office, like he that that's weird. Now she's like, oh wait. So she thinks once Joan got Zach. She took him to the cabins where she found the markers and then began brainwashing him. Franz has connections, she thinks, all over to his many different stations. So he has so he has Cook use her private plane to have him flown to Ontario where Franz has friends. And then Franz must have known the ditches remember Douglas and Kathleen in Italy from their Air Force time and took him from Ontario right to Italy in the private plane to avoid immigration. She thinks everything was organized by Joan Cook and bankrolled by Franz in an elaborate elaborate plan to steal Zach and use him in a child sex ring. It's beautiful. It's it's interestingly put together uh, with so many holes and obvious um, inconsistencies in that the kid in Italy wasn't Zach. But well, she thinks he was replaced. Z- the real Zach was gone by then. Oh, and a new Zach was there by the time they showed up to DNA swab him. Yeah. All right. Does she have any concerns at all? If if Mama here, who I believe has some significant illnesses from this. Um, does she have any concerns about photographs of her child being found on uh, David Brown's in, in, in evidence? No, she doesn't know David Brown. No. Because she says no. she doesn't know David Brown, who went to her church, who obviously was having an well, inappropriate give me, sexual... Give me um, two minutes, and I'm going to take you back to David's story. Okay. All right. Good, because I just want to jump back there. So, Joan Cook <laughs> It's also, my comfort zone. Yeah. I... <laughs> That is something you didn't think you'd say no. at the end of part two of I that didn't. episode. I didn't. Or that case. I know I what know. to expect from David. Right, 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 right. So Joan Cook also runs, ran, excuse me, a low-income counseling business, but she was told this was just a front, meaning she, meaning Rachel, was told that this is just a front and how she got low-income people to sell their children. 
Oh. She also thinks obviously the local authorities are involved because everyone is lining their pockets with this child sex ring business in town. She claimed once that she was onto them, the black vehicle started driving past her house. She figured out their code that they had stickers in the back to indicate if they were picking up or dropping off a kid. She even claimed helicopters helicopters started to fly overhead and shine a spotlight down on her place. She would not admit her child was dead because then all hope was lost. So now I'm going to take you back to David Brown's story. Remember, there was a child sex ring. Yeah. There are child sex there rings. There are. There absolutely are. I'm not and saying. And she thinks that she's got this, co- you know, that her right. kid was But the child in. sex ring was David, David and, and Doc. the Doc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David and Doc. Correct. Yep. So I'm going to take you back to David's story. Remember the point when um, he met Sherry and moved Sherry in? Yes, Mel Sherry. And he told her that he wanted her to sit down at the table and talk to her about a missing boy named Zach. I remember. David told Sherry that Zach was an artist and that they would sit down and draw together. Do you remember Zach's little notebook that had his disturbing drawings and someone else's else's drawing in there too? And that Zach needed someone to listen to his problems, so he was always there for him to offer him a father's guidance. David told Sherry that Rachel, his mother, had all kinds of men in and out of the house and all kind of man troubles. So he knew her. Mm -hmm. Her latest boyfriend was named Carl, had moved out two days before Zach disappeared to go back to his wife and kids. Zach told David that he hated Carl. This all comes out later when Sharice is interviewed, finally, by the way. And I told you that in in the last part of when she was finally contacted and interviewed. Sherry said that it wasn't until David got busted. (laughs) That Sherry, years later, four years later, after his disappearance. Well, because Sherry never Sherry. reported any of that stuff. She was like, I'm yes, getting the hell did. out of here. She yes, reported she what did. she found in, remind me, she reported what she found in his bedroom? Yes. She reported all of it. And they did not find, and this was a year after his disappearance, and they thought the story sounded so crazy that they didn't find any reason to follow up with her until four years later right. after they searched I mean, his house. She didn't report it right after she found it. Yes, she did. It she, was she didn't move in with him until a year after Zach's disappearance. Oh God. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you see you see it now? Okay. Yep. So he sits. He had been gone for a year. She was only at his house for like a week. I know. I just keep thinking it's of of Pam too. Yes. And then and Pam, who was his significant other, who was around and with him during this time, and noticed never reported anything. No, but she was locked out. Pam didn't see that stuff. It was Sherry that. Yep. That Sherry showed her later though. And then, but when Sherry got kicked out for the tarot cards, Pam left a couple days later. She did. They yep. broke up too. They were like, okay, this is okay. all too much. I had to for remember me. from last episode. Yep. Thank no, you. I'm I'm you're not the only one. I think that would be a good synopsis for okay. the listeners as well. So yeah. Sherry said that David explained to her that there was an old man who lived in the alley. He um and he took Okay. My my notes were a little scrambled there. So Sherry said that David... The story is a little I scrambled. Know. It's not you. It's my, my, my typing here. All right. So he was saying that he takes... Um, there, there's an old man in the alley that Zach liked to spend time with. All right. And this old man was a pedophile who offered his home to lost boys. 
And David was pissed that Zach was spending all his time with this old man instead of him because he used to spend all of his time with him, telling him all of his, you know, woes, right? And they would draw and whatnot. Well, now Doc's did got David him. actually refer to Doc as the old pedophile? Yes, he did. He is talking about his friend Doc that he met in prison. Yes, he kind did. And a pedophile does that make you, David? Sherry was not comfortable with the way David talked like Zach was a lover instead of a child. She did not come out. Um, or this did not come out until four years after, afterwards when David Brown was finally arrested. There were photographs that were taken the day Zach went missing of a naked David thought to be taken by Zach, and his hand can be seen on one in one of the photographs as well. So the Zach was taking nude photographs of him. Yep. Yes. I'm sure at his request. Yes, but. of course. Yep. However, Rachel would not accept that David Brown was responsible for the disappearance of her son. Even though the police did charge him with Zach's disappearance and murder, all charges related to Zachary's case were dismissed against David in October 2002 as, the res- as a result of a lack of evidence. Zachary's mother, and part of that is that Zachary's mother testified in the trial that she believes her son is there, still alive. And there's no body, but more than that, there's only evidence that there was a, an appropriate sexual yes. relationship, yep. um, child Which, which he was abuse. put away for, right. for the child pornography. Yes, right. yep. She said on the stand that she viewed a videotape of her son frolicking in a playground in 2000. And so that's why she believes that he is alive. How old would he be? Would he be frol- well, frolicking on a playground? Well, he would disappeared in 1996. Um. And he yeah, was he was 10. So 10? 14. Yeah, frolicking maybe was a strong word. Yeah. Investigators closed Zachary's file after allegedly um, connecting David to his disappearance. In January 2011, over the objections of Rachel, Franz had him declared legally dead, and then he could collect on Zachary's $20,000 life insurance policy. And that is the end of the case. This... I'm interested oh. to hear what our people have to say. You know, our, our Cubans and Cabernet group is going to go crazy I when know. they hear this and I know. be like, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry if you want my opinion. It's, to me, it's just hands down, David um, killed this kid yes, after having sexually molested him for a long time. Yes, he did. Um, po- possibly out of jealousy, it sounds like, yes, perhaps. I agree. I think that's why he went from friendship and, and lover you know, in his mind, he's a lover of yeah. him. And then he is jealous because he's spending but, all this time. But with he Doc. rapes and kills little boys anyway. And so yep. even though it took him longer for that to happen, it just doesn't surprise me. And we have all of the other weird circumstantial evidence to indicate how he would have got rid of the body. Mm-hmm. Yep. The cannibalism piece. Yep. And then and just, that's obviously what do- the doc thinks too. Uh, remind me of the doctor's name again uh, that wrote the book. Dr. Epsy. Dr. Epsy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. he did these. That's why Zach was included he, in that story. He, he can't a, conclude. But right. But he did a great job at giving all the information. Like I like. Oh yeah, we got all. I liked his writing because it was like how I like to present a case of. I know that this is going to what this is going to sound like, but this is the reality of how this case played out, right? This is the reality of what people were saying. Like, so I'm going to include it all and just leave it up to other people to make their own determination, right? And I just I really like doing that. I know that we have spiritual listeners. I don't want them to think that we are. Ca- I'm not casting any judgment. On no, you the use certain, of psychics or no, you anything like that. You certainly didn't but, do that. But and I'm with our spiritual listeners. I've been pretty honest about the fact that I always do come at it from an aspect of being way different from you. I'm not as neutral on it. Well, I'm willing and open to listening, and I'm trying to get better about that. Yeah. 
this case that you read to me and how you read it, I don't get the impression that there was anything legitimate about no. what I was seeing. I we have had cases and I have seen cases where I get chills and I'm like, yeah, that is just unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And yep, that's, there's that's something mystical. beautiful in this, yes, right? right? There was nothing Not here. Yeah. No, just nope. that my opinion. And again, uh, no, you guys uh, can disagree. I, I agree with you on that in that. And there are people that are just going to take advantage and just pretend. There this really woman are. Was, you know? His mom is so vulnerable and in such a state. She is so sure that it is such a contentious divorce. So sure that Franz is involved in this, that there is so much that has been created. Um, yeah. Do you think that it's interesting that her coworkers, though, very clearly from, from the off, the you know, when she was a process server that they were just like oh you know where your son is like they had her as a suspect all along and just said she was trying to cast you know d- like that part bothers me because I'm like hey no, David it doesn't, David it doesn't bother me because I think that what they're saying is she knows David was involved there and are just people isn't willing to accept that okay we know that she knows who David is she lied mm-hmm. about it that's what I'd love she to did. know on the poly too bad they didn't and that did you kill your son do you know David Brown right right are you or yeah, whatever exactly. the hell he called himself Yes, it would have been Nathaniel. Oh my God, all those things that I won't commit to men memory. Right. Nathaniel, Judah, Jonah, David, whatever. Yeah. I don't, it just every, yeah. he picked Victor's, every possible name in the did. Bible. He he tried to pick every one that he thought was a Jewish, Jewish name. Oh my God. Yeah. In, in the, it, it was weird. But anyway, that's it. Are you? I'm going to bathe okay. you. Can I tell you, I have so to many tell hours. you this was 50 pages of research for these three cases, and I'm tired. Bathe me, mama. I bet you are tired. Bathe me. All right. This is, I hope that these aren't repeats. If so, you're going to have to stop me and we'll delete. 10 most what the fuck crime stories of 2017. Okay. Ah, it was an excellent year. I don't know. Over $1,000 falls out of alleged drug dealer's butt in county jail. <laughs> Look at this man. He's so I, shamed. I love how it says alleged. Alleged drug dealer's bus. He wasn't convicted. But yet, police uh, in Marion County, Florida, oh, pulled Florida. over 26-year-old Patreon Stokes, <laughs> spelled with two T's though, for speeding this summer. After they apparently smelled marijuana, they searched his car, allegedly finding a bunch of drugs, specifically meth, crack, and heroin, and Yikes. money. They took him into custody, but when they arrived at the station, the money had vanished. It was a short-lived mystery. Money started falling out of his backside in the form of $20 bills, like he was some kind of a gastrointestinal ATM. (laughs) According to a Facebook post from the Marion County Sheriff's Office, after a necessary but undesirable process for everyone involved, (laughs) the MCSO detention deputies located $1,090 in U.S. currency hidden in Stokes' rectum. Stokes received one charge for his rectal magic trick, as well as a litany of drug charges. Oh my gosh. You know, I. This is RollingStone.com, by the way. I appreciate the way that he had all the drugs in his car. He's like, I'm not going to ha- just nail myself down to one drug. I'm going to be a connoisseur of all the drugs. All the drugs. And then I'm going to shove all my drug money <laughs> up, up my, my ass. anus. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, wow. He looks good. Guy dressed as Joker arrested for wearing masks. Oh, boy, he really is dressed. In March, 31... So a lot of this shit was happening, I think. In March, 31-year-old Jeremy Putman dressed up as the Joker to be specific, the Heath Ledger interpretation, Um, Yes, and wandered around Winchester, Virginia, a sleepy town outside Washington, D.C., while police say carrying a big sword. 
This kind of distressed locals who perhaps felt threatened by the menacing clown with the sword and the local emergency dispatch center received multiple calls about the cosplayer. Police arrested him, not for the sword, but for wearing a mask to conceal his identity, which is apparently illegal in Virginia. Don't go there for Halloween. Putman's lawyer claims that he wasn't actually carrying a sword and that he was merely walking around town minding his own business. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, if he's not doing anything malicious that's interesting we recently had a man walking around our town that was being malicious yeah and i think we found that he actually had some mental illness oh, of course he did yeah some, he was spitting at people yeah like, yeah. yeah we have the, the bizarre things happen how about this though man farts at detective until he's released <laughs> and look how proud he looks he looks so proud he, yeah Oh, shoot. Like, Ge- yep, that was me. That was me. Generally, when you're being interrogated by police, it's best to keep your mouth shut unless you have your lawyer by your side. But maybe there's another way to get out of trouble. Sean A. Sykes Jr., a 24-year-old resident of Kansas City. It's always fucking Missouri. <laughs> it is. All of the cases. Okay. Misery. Was, ri- was riding in a car in which police found drugs and two handguns, so he was taken in for further questioning. When a detective asked Sykes about his address, he leaned to one side of the chair and released a loud fart before no! answering with his address. The detective wrote in his report about the interrogation, the barrage of farts continued, <laughs> and a According to the detective, he quote unquote continued to be flatulent and I ended the interview. The barrage of farts continued. (laughs) I want to say that to my husband. The barrage of farts. (laughs) Though he was not charged, Sykes was pulled over two months later. Police allegedly found crack and a stolen gun in his car and it seems likely he won't be able to fart his way out of trouble this time. (laughs) Nope, not with the crack, sir. Your crack can't get you out of the crack charges. Yep, and here's the last one I'm going to give you only because this has happened to me woman caught smoking weed in parking lot before court summons for weed possession oh i'm not the woman in the car no you're not nope but you've seen this happen often over on long island 26 year old ariel bonici was snagged by cops back in may for marijuana possession a few months later she had to show up for the court summons Court appearances are super boring, but you know what would help? Weed. So, according to police, Bonici rolled up to the station, cutting off undercover cops while talking on her cell phone on the way in, parking in a spot stating police parking only. She did not endear herself to begin with. Not exactly the smartest move, but to be fair, she was super fucking high. Yeah. When cops yeah. confronted her about her illegal parking spot, a huge cloud of pot smoke <laughs> puffed out the window. Maybe she was just holding all that smoke for a friend. She was charged with unlawful possession of marijuana again and has to appear in court again. again. And there's your there's your oh, baths for the day. Bless her heart. Yes. What a it, it happens, you know, as a as a prosecutor and defense attorneys deal with this probably far more than prosecutors because they I see bet. their clients in person yeah. more. Prosecutors, unless you have an improper, which means an unrepresented person. Well, for me, as a prosecutor, Tuesdays were improper day. Okay, so I'd get the people in who didn't need attorneys because they could afford one. They were choosing to represent themselves, whatever. And I don't know how many times I would sit out there to talk to somebody. And here I am like, okay, sir, what you've been charged with is drunk driving. This is what I have to offer you. Are you drunk? 
and they just look at you. I'm like, right now? you you smell. Your eyes are glassy and bloodshot. I mean, I'm no expert, but I've been drunk before. Right, <laughs> like, right. are you drunk right now having this conversation with me? And my very favorite was when the guy walked in, who literally walked up and then shook his head no and turned back around and sat because I went to lunch at a local establishment and saw him getting drunk at the bar <laughs> at lunchtime. <laughs> he also brought me a flower. I was Aww. sitting with some other girls and he grabs a flower off a table and goes, here, beautiful flower for the beautiful woman. And I'm like, well, thank you. And then I looked over at my girlfriends and I said, I'm pretty sure I have court with him later. <laughs> he walked in, no flowers in hand and turned right back around yep, and sat like, down like, no. nope. Can I get a different, can I do yeah, a different? This is yep. not good. Oh, you know, the joys of this, living in a small town. This poor girl. I'm thinking she had just had astigmatism and just hadn't been able to legally obtain her medical marijuana card for her stigmatism. I had a client once that had a It's a glaucoma. Astigmatism isn't... I know I have, I have astigmatism. It doesn't cause you pain. It causes things to be blurry. I know. You don't have to tell me, girlfriend. I have one in each eye. So you mean my blur is going to be cured by medical marijuana? I had to document it in a case. And blur. my supervisor kicked it back to me and was like, I, I think, can't accept this. Well, she was like, I think that you had a typo. Like, I don't think. Yeah, that's not. I was like, no, he was very clear. And then I told him, I too have two stigmatisms, as a matter of fact. Right. And he was like, oh, you should really look into that. I like, will. Yeah. It, uh, uh, okay. So, you know, this poor girl, I think she's just, she hadn't been able to go get her medical marijuana card. Works good for our 420 yeah. as well, even yeah. though we're past it it's, now. It is 422 when we are. Well, there you we know, go. We're, it's close enough. Yeah. Saturday. I'm sure there's plenty of people celebrating it right now. Charnel. It's also legal where we're at. It is. Thank but don't drive. Thank yeah. you for bringing me this terror Right. Yes. This one wasn't as, I guess, terrifying. It was a little bit confusing. Um, not from you, but just in general. No, just right. Like a what the what the. Fuck. And it's to me an unsolved solved, which we get the every last, once in a while. The last three weeks of cases have been hour and a half long episodes. That yeah. if you guys want to know, we've actually recorded back to back to back. So we are on our six now of, yeah. of recording time yeah, and I've, when I've we're been tired here for um, almost, almost exactly six hours yes yep exactly so we hope that you all enjoyed these deep dives um i'm super happy to get them off from out Your of brain. my brain and, and and off into the world because that was a lot of work and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed it if you want to join patreon and get even more of our hard work each month do so. Go over to patreon.com forward slash crime curious. There's also links in the show notes and on our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com. Follow us on social media, interact with us, send us your case suggestions, all those lovely things. And, and, and until next time, keep it freaking curious. Keep it curious and keep listening. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.